This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. Sowing the seeds of cannabis and sounding the praise of our favorite plants, it's time to Hemp Resent. Our radio resident Hempo Sapien Vivian McPeak will present a weekly platform for guests and listeners to Hemp Resent about hemp and cannabis from the legal, activist, and reformist route. Let's round up and roll it up for our headmaster of hemp, Vivian McPeak. Friends, I am Vivian McPeak, and this is the Hemp Present Resistance. I am the executive director of the world's largest annual cannabis policy reform event, the Seattle Hemp Fest, speaking flower to power for 29 years and found at hempfest.org. I am also the author of the book Protestable, a 20-year retrospective of Seattle Hemp Fest, which is also found at hempfest.org. This show is a weekly reefer radio rebellion where I speak with some of the principal risk takers, movers and shakers and history makers of the cannabis industry, culture and reform movement. If you have feedback or would like to suggest a guest or topic for Hemp Present, email me at hempresent at gmail.com. Today's guests on Hemp Present are attorneys Joshua Horn and Bill Bogot of the Cannabis Law Practice at Fox Rothschild. Josh Horn is the co-chair of the firm's cannabis law practice and has an extensive background in several areas of legal cannabis business law. He is a highly sought after authority on complex cannabis law issues. Josh represents major financial services companies in matters throughout the country. He also represents financial advisory companies, individual advisors, and counselors in financial industry regulatory authority or FINRA examinations, enforcement, and arbitrations. Bill Bogot represents clients in highly regulated industries, particularly gaming and cannabis. He has worked for all three branches of the Illinois government, the executive, legislative, and judiciary. However, Bill represents clients nationwide, both in regulatory matters and civil litigation. Bill is also the co-chair of Fox Fox's cannabis law practice and counsels clients in the medical recreational cannabis space and in multiple states across the country. The National Law Journal has recognized Josh and Bill as trailblazers in cannabis law, and I have them both with me today to blaze a trail through this episode. Welcome back, gentlemen, to Cannabis Radio. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Yeah, great to be back. My, our pleasure. Um, a lot's changed since last time you were both on the show. Uh, the cannabis industry has grown and evolved. Industrial hemp has been federally legalized by most definitions. 
and a massive CBD market has emerged infiltrating the mainstream. Um, but let's start off with this looming national election. In my mind, this is possibly the most important national election of my lifetime, one that could in large part determine the character and blueprint for America for years to come, uh, way beyond the issue of cannabis and the cannabis industry. But speaking of cannabis in general, what do you both feel hangs in the balance depending upon the outcome of the presidential election uh, and, and the subsequent coattails that'll be influenced by this November, uh, these November votes? Well, this is Bill. I, uh, you know, been thinking about this a lot, but not so much just even about this particular election, but just the attorney general pick in general. William Barr has been sparring with the president in public a little more. He came into office uh, as the attorney general saying he wasn't going to go after cannabis licensees in compliance with state laws. Uh, and so far, he hasn't. A different attorney general, whether under this existing president or a different one, could change things. Um, and s some of the Democrats win. I definitely feel they're much more friendly towards cannabis, but at the same time, may be more inclined to have more of a federal national legalization, which could have benefits for not having multiple states to deal with, but could have huge detriments in now having a whole federal regulatory scheme. So there's there's so many variables that totally could change, um, it, you know, from one extreme to another. And just to pick up, this is Josh Horn, and pick up on Bill's point. If you if you just take, for example, Colorado, for example, I believe Cory Gardner, uh, who's you know who's, who's been an advocate, a Republican who has actually been an advocate of Colorado's uh, cannabis program, uh, and pushed back, you know, uh, when Jeff Sessions became Attorney General, you know, he's up for re-election, and and he may not make it. So you may see uh, a changing of the guard um, in, in Congress, and maybe you'll see people who. Um, are not as myopic about uh, cannabis uh, legalization than what we currently have, uh, particularly in the Republican Party. Of course, uh, I think just today I saw that uh, the new chief of staff that uh, President Trump just appointed, uh, Representative Mark Meadows, actually is pretty anti-cannabis. Uh, so it's it, it's it's kind of hard to predict what this uh, administration is going to do with cannabis. Do you do you, do you agree? The, uh, my, I'm sorry, Bill. Yeah. You go. No, I was just going to say, listen, I completely agree, although ultimately I think it's going to be up to the enforcement priorities of the attorney general, and I, I don't think uh, necessarily Barr would change that. But, again, like, like we just talked about, uh, should this attorney general leave and someone else uh, come on board and then with the chief of staff who may be opposed to it, that combination, if this president's reelected, you know, could certainly have adverse consequences. And, and my my point that I was going to uh, say is that, you know, I think the, the most predictable thing is unpredictability with this administration. <laughs> I think that's a very cogent uh, observation. Um, I'm going to ask you to get into the cannabis time machine with me and set it for eight months after this coming election. Uh, do you have any thoughts on what ballot initiatives concerning cannabis might emerge uh, possibly down the road, say, June of 2021? Uh, this is this is Josh. Um, I'll uh, jump in on on the point on this one. I think you know. Look, first of all, you have New Jersey has a referendum in this fall election on um, adult use, and so I think you're likely to see uh, in states that have the referendum process, you'll probably likely see that more so um, on on ballots. Um, 
and um, and to the extent that there's other you know other states that come online, I think you're just going to see much more of those ballot initiatives to either uh, adult use programs or states that don't have medical, maybe they'll go, they'll go medical or states that have medical going adult use and, and so forth. I think that would probably be the biggest thing you'll see. And, you know, I suspect New Jersey will pass its referendum and we'll be wrestling with the legislation after that. Yeah, but this this is Bill. You know, interestingly, you know, you did mention June 2021. So that's quite a while a ways up. But, you know, as Josh knows, I personally, I live in Illinois right below. I'm a whole 45 minutes from Wisconsin. And my spidey senses say that sooner or later, Wisconsin, and in 2021, in June, you know, might be teeing up for legalizing at least medical. And some other states have been very successful. If you're looking a year and a half out almost, really, you know, Oklahoma's had quite a success with their medical program. I know there's some rumblings there about, you know, maybe uh, going adult use. Missouri, which is just, you know, rolled out its medical program and people are already talking about turning for adult use. So I know they have a lot of litigation there, but you're going a year and a half in the future. I think there may be some momentum there too. Any thoughts or feelings or predictions on what a tipping point might be? I mean, obviously it's, it's self-evident that the trends are rapidly changing and, and cannabis is becoming normalized uh, and mainstreamed and the CBD uh, craze is just like really seems to be uh, habituating people to the idea that cannabis could be a therapeutic substance and if, at least is not uh, not heroin. Any feeling on on how close we might be or, or, or when we might what what a tipping point might be for federal legalization? Mm-hmm. That, well, that, that, you know what, that's, that, that goes back to the question of predicting really in some regards, you know, almost this, this election here, right? I mean, I remember when we were on the radio with you last time talking about whether we're at the tipping point for could it ever roll back, right? If my memory serves me right. And I think we all agreed, you know, we're past the tipping point where it could ever be like criminalized again, uh, just because you have the majority of states who in Congress would fight back. But as for the feds getting at it, certainly the presidential election, if Democrats win, I think we would have it. Trump, you know, if, if he gets reelected, it, it might just stay pretty much the same for the next, you know, administration, uh, which wouldn't be so bad, at least for the current operators who don't want too much change, except for maybe Section 280E. Um, if Trump stays in office, I... I don't know for the tipping point to get into Congress to change the laws because it may just keep going. And I just to um, this is Josh. My thought is that you know you have um, the CBD market, which has obviously exploded with the Farm Bill of eighteen, and you have the FDA kind of running in sand, going nowhere. But you have folks like Senator Mitch McConnell saying, "FDA, you need to get your regulations squared away for." Uh, CBD from hemp. If that happens, I can see that as not the t- tipping point, but the the start of a potential tipping point somewhere down the line. Because you at least now you have uh, you know full federal engagement, if you will, on a legal substance. Talking about trends, uh, do you see any consolidation of cannabis companies on the horizon? Uh, what, what's your your take on what the landscape might look look like down the road a little bit? Yeah, this is uh, Bill. I I definitely think that's a possibility, mostly because 
Uh, we are, of course, we've already been seeing that the last couple of years with some large mega mergers, but you know, there's also been a lot of talk about some companies being overextended, having uh, issues with capital going forward. And there's always been chatter for the last few months, who's going to have the, will any large MSO have a, a bankruptcy or even smaller regional ones? How would that look since there's not a traditional access to bankruptcy courts? Um, but then I've also heard some chatter about some companies, hedge funds and groups starting to get together to get ready to pounce on distressed assets, right? So to the extent someone is trying to do a bankruptcy-like or receive state receivership insolvency, uh, what groups are going to come in to buy those distressed assets at a discount and kind of roll them up? And I think there's people watching and getting ready for that. So it will be more consolidation, but again, might be more consolidation because there's opportunities to get cheap assets rather than what we saw a year ago, which was mega expensive acquisitions. Same yeah, thing, and this the flip is, side. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I, I agree with Bill, and I think you're going to still see consolidation in the markets. I think what you'll see, because companies are uh, cash-strapped, you'll see the uh, well-capitalized, well-managed MSOs continue to consolidate in the space. But I think this time next year, you'll probably see some that go by, by the way of the dodo bird because of this very issue of, of uh, tight capital markets. And you know the, what happened on the stock market today is not going to encourage people to be deploying capital. My guests are Joshua Horn and Bill Bogart. We're going to take a break and come right back. Uh, after a few words, don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us have present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. The, the green, green peak, peak with Richard Zwicky. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow. The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put different celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Cheech and Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is him being that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Dazed and infused. Join sugar industry expert Latham Woodward for a happier hour each week for a lively and often hilarious discussion on the infusion of cannabis into food, beverages, and life. Explore exciting new culinary landscape trends with fascinating friends and guests who are leading the industry into the uncharted mainstream. Discover curated menus, enhanced cocktails, and live tastings. Life's a little sweeter here on Dazed and Infused. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. And we're back with Josh Horn and Bill Bogart, the Fox Rothschild. The uh, 
the ground's been shifting fast in the cannabis industry as growers, processors, packagers, and retailers uh, compete for market share uh, in this nascent but burgeoning industry. Uh, you know, I like to think, you know, what if the wine industry was was uh, could only operate within state lines? You know, what would the wine uh, market look like? Um, it's kind of a unique situation. Do you foresee an influx of multi-state operators as the industry continues to evolve and regulations uh, keep uh, changing? This is uh, Josh. Um, I, I think it's bound to happen. You'll see a lot more MSOs um, expanding their reach throughout the country because you know, a lot of them are fairly well-financed and well-managed, and I think those are two uh, threshold requirements, and you know, I think you'll see that continued growth, and I think you'll see new players come on as well. You'll have uh, more regional uh, folks who are well capitalized and well managed um, that we may not really know about at the moment, who may take the point on on the ever uh, expansion. Yeah, and just this is Bill, just following up on that. Yeah, and there's there's a trend that goes with that too, and as the new states come on. Everyone knows, take Illinois, Pennsylvania, soon to be you know, Missouri. If you're just going to get a dispensary, it's a vast amount of capital just to get up and running, get through that first year, you know, generally a million dollars or more. And so a lot of times, a lot of the initial investors, despite the, the rumors are all making lots of money, people forget about the capital. So when a new MSO is looking to expand through acquisitions, it's a great chance for some of the initial starters to actually capitalize and, and you know get out and actually cash in so i definitely see that kind of picking up more and more and some of these operators that are very good as they get bigger and they get economies of scale operating in multiple states we i see that as a, as a also a gaming lawyer in the gaming industry every state has their own gambling casino laws they tend to be very different than the other states and over time it's gotten to be there's big operators whether it's heroes or mgm who you know can navigate all those different states and get economies of scale. I don't think this will be too much different, really, in the long run, at least. You know, uh, this is the green rush, they call it, and, and you know, it's uh, there's picks and shovels, and then there's people mining for gold, uh, and and there's been a lot of money rushing into the cannabis industry uh, from all over. Uh, for people that will kind of want to exploit this new market. Um, players are coming and players are going. And uh, you talked about bankruptcies. Could you focus on bankruptcies a little bit more and expound on that? And, and is there, are, are bankruptcies with cannabis businesses, uh, is it the same process? Is, is, are all bankruptcies the same or is there anything unique uh, for businesses uh, dealing with the cannabis? Well, that that is a... a uh, interesting question. This is Bill because only because bankruptcy, of course, and the bankruptcy laws are federal laws. And in the past, there have been a handful of cases of uh, people in the cannabis industry who have tried to file bankruptcy in federal court and have been tossed out because generally you can't get bankruptcy protection for some illegal conduct, right? So if suddenly someone was insolvent and was seeking, you know, protection from a court from their creditors, they really have to do basically an old school, what they had to do a hundred years ago before there were bankruptcy laws. And that's state based and state court insolvency receiverships. And, uh, you know, a lot of 
the state courts haven't really dealt with that, like I said, for maybe a century. Um, people have done it in state courts. I had been involved in one years ago in Arizona. In uh, a handful of states, I know Josh and I were looking at this recently, California, I think Washington, have some laws in their cannabis laws uh, providing for state court receivership. But uh, a lot of this is going to be you know, trailblazing very new ground. If something like this happened in Illinois, um, you know, it would be navigating kind of a whole new area and trying to bring a state court judge up to and educate on how it would even work to protect someone and appoint a receiver to maybe dissolve or sell the assets and distribute the proceeds to the creditors. Um, but it's a, it's a unique and novel thing. Hope, hopefully, we will not have to see it too much. And, and this is Josh, and there are some cases winding their ways through the federal courts on this issue on the bankruptcy in the cannabis context. And there's one in the appellate court, I think, that is coming up and shed some light on it uh, as well. And some states, uh, Oregon and uh, California come to mind, if I recall correctly, their regulations have some provisions on what a creditor can, can and cannot do with a licensed entity or the cannabis that it has in the event of a uh, secure creditor having to take some action to protect its security. So I think you'll see a lot more in the state-by-state, state, as Bill was saying, in the receivership context or also in the regulatory context to address those issues. Now the cannabis yeah, is and you really, legal. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say something. You're really going to have to see you know, if it's in some state court receivership or even if it's in federal court. You're really going to have to see a court whatever court's dealing with this, and the regulators really work hand in hand. Because if someone is trying to say, well, you have U.S. money, you have $20 million of you know, cannabis in your stock, we want to put a lien on that because we're a secure creditor, so we can take that marijuana and sell it. Obviously, a creditor doesn't have a license to sell marijuana. So the regulators really have to work with all the parties uh, you know, on who's going to control these, these assets, like marijuana, marijuana-making machinery which not just anyone can come in without a license and take possession of so um you know it's a little different than some other industries again getting back to gambling i there have been cases where casinos have gone bankrupt and the regulators had to work with the bankruptcy court to try to like find someone to run it who was vetted found suitable and could be licensed and it was kind of an arduous process but it's kind of a roadmap if the bankruptcy court's will take it, like Josh said, hopefully we'll have some answers to that soon. When we had you on, I, I've got, I think it's maybe a year and a half ago now or something like that, maybe longer. The last time uh, we talked about U.S. Tax Code 280E, uh, which prevents businesses engaged in cannabis from basic banking services using credit, deducting standard corporate income tax exemptions on their tax returns. Uh, and, and some, you know, dealing with a tax rate as much as 90%. Uh, has anything evolved on that? And, and, you know, I know that the law hasn't evolved, but maybe in the way that, uh, that, that, that businesses are, are addressing that, um, what, what's, what's the well, status Well, I think, it, yeah, this, this is Josh. Um, I think businesses are trying to get creative on, on what they can do under 280E. Uh, because under 280E, they can only take deductions for cost of goods sold. And so there's been a fair amount of litigation through the tax court as to, you know, how far people are pushing the cost of goods sold for their deductions. Um, I don't see uh, anything on the horizon on the federal level to change 280E to re-ramp the tax code. 
because quite frankly, the cynic in me says is that the federal government is enjoying its boondoggle <laughs> that it gets at taxing these companies at 90 percent as opposed to you know 40 to 50 percent if they're able to take the ordinary deductions. So I think it, it's here to stay unless you have a wholesale change in the administration. Um, and it just comes up to the companies to try to navigate the, as best they can as the wood is and is not a uh, ordinary uh, cost cost sold. Yeah, but Josh, um, you know, this is not too different than the bankruptcy one in that there, remember there was that case that came out recently where there was a very strong and yes. very kind of philosophical dissent by um, a judge who had really gone through the analysis that, um, you know, an income tax by definition has to be a tax on income. And if you can't, you know, if you make no profit, um, and you're just taxing revenue, even mm-hmm. though the expenses are greater than that. And by definition, that's not a tax on income. A little philosophical, but really was some great ammunition for a potential Supreme Court case one day on that if it works its way up the system. So I think we're going to find people like me who read that, go like, wow, we got something that pounced on. The, the, the thought process was, was really pretty tight. Um, so I think that'll wind its way through the courts, too. Oh, and I agree. In that case in particular, I mean, if I recall correctly, the judge said it was basically an unfair penalty or, or uh, yeah. charge. And, and that, that, may be the, that may be the way to approach it through the court system. Uh, but our court system is getting more and more conservative. And it'll, you know, like most things when you're in court, it's the luck of the draw with the judge that you get. Yeah. Fascinating. Uh, but that's probably the bit in the long term, one of the greatest you know, really ankle chains, I don't know what other phrase to use, on the industry because Section 280E, you know, just goes back to the thing that there's so much capital intensive, you know, to running this. And when you can't deduct expenses and you want to keep growing, it often requires more and more capital. Uh, and that becomes more challenging to service where, you know, if you could expense certain things and not pay taxes on all that uh, would really allow the industry to, to, to blossom, um, be more profitable and have more opportunities and be a greater economic engine, really, than it is already. Speaking of bringing in capital, we have to take our next break. I'm talking to Josh Horn and Bill Bogart, <laughs> and we're going to hear a word uh, from our sponsors to advertise and come back with our final questions. Don't go anywhere. Time to roll out for the people that let us hemp present. Hang loose. We're coming right back. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet take-anywhere treat. The cannabis industry is growing almost as fast as the cannabis and hemp being planted and harvested. Where, when, and how fast will the cannabis and hemp industries continue to climb? Who will be the people leading the charge into that promised land of profit? Let's pursue those answers and more with the Plant Profits. Welcome to another episode of Plant Profits. I am Burt Miller, your host. As you guys know, the purpose of this show is to introduce you to some of the most forward-thinking executives and companies in the cannabis industry. Plant Profits, only on CannabisRadio.com.
Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. We're back to Hemp Presents, only on Cannabis Radio. Now, back to our headstrong emperor of hemp, Vivian McPeak. We're back on Hip Percent with Joshua Horn and Bill Bogart from Fox Rothschild. Uh, it's been great having you guys back. Um, it's uh, an amazing, unpredictable, uh, yet exciting landscape for cannabis, for everything cannabis right now. Uh, do you have any uh, final comments you'd like to leave us with? Anything that we haven't covered uh, today that you'd like to make sure uh, gets added in before we have to go? All, this is Josh. All I would say is that I, I bet when we have this conversation again in the future, the landscape will have changed significantly once again. Bill and I frequently joke that practicing one year of law in the cannabis space is like dog years. It's like seven years in regular practice of law because things are flying so quickly. And I suspect that the landscape will be much different in a year from now. I got, I've got nothing to add on that. But I, I certainly hope that at least the various states uh, and the federal government in, in certainly the next uh, couple of years uh, take advantage of, think about the effects the cannabis businesses can have on the economy. Uh, today with the stock market crashing and I'm in the state of Illinois, which certainly needs revenue. There's a, a lot of great jobs and opportunity and I look forward to uh, the cannabis economic engine just kind of really rolling ahead. And we at Fox continue to follow these things on a daily basis and have a regular blog. If anyone's interested, it's called In the Weeds. And, uh, and you know, it's, it's an interesting area, and I, we look forward to uh, talking again in the future. I certainly appreciate you guys and, and, and all the great work that you're doing. Um, activists like myself uh, need people like yourselves uh, dealing with the, the nuts and bolts of the economic stuff that's, that's often above our radar uh, and, and area expertise. So thanks for coming on. I look forward to having you guys on again. Uh, you know, hopefully we will still have a society when that happens. We hope so too. If people are hunkered down and quarantined in their homes in a lockdown, uh, they'll, they'll probably be smoking more weed. So as long as they can, uh, yep. The delivery services will be more popular or something. <laughs> we'll make sure it happens. All right. Well, you guys stay Thanks strong for having yourselves, us. man. Yep. Stay Thank strong. you so much. Take care. Have a good day. You. you too. Okay. Yeah, bye-bye. Now I'm going to get to a weekly feature. Him is in on CannabisRadio.com. That's the quote of the week. Courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the judgment that something else is more important than fear. And those are the words of Ambrose Redmoon. 
That concludes this installment of Hemp's In on Cannabis Radio. I want to thank Brasco, my man in the control room, and all the Cannabis Radio sponsors and advertisers. Join me next week for some more reefer repartee and cannabis confabulation with some special Hempo Sapien on a journey to justice as we silence the violence, increase the peace, and promote unity in the cannabis community with impunity. Because when it comes to prohibition, you have the right not to remain silent. Activism requires a voice, so find your voice. Speak up for justice because resistance is fertile. Until then, my friends, stay strong. Speak truth. Toke it easy. And don't forget to email me at hambersin at gmail.com. The Hambersin theme song, Take Back the Plants, performed by Stickerbush. Turn up the music maestro because I am out. Marijuana! The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.